Hello, and welcome to Relevate Presents Scholar's Ship, the podcast where we use real research to analyze, scrutinize, and humanize your favorite TV and movie couples. I'm your host, Eric Goodcase. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Relevate Presents Scholarship. Happy New Year. Today, we have with us an assistant professor of human development and family studies at Penn State Mont Alto, Dr. Barrett Scroggs. Happy New Year, Dr. Scroggs. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for joining us. And then, as always, well, as most of the time, actually, uh, Dr. Denzel Jones will be joining us as well. Denzel, how are you doing? Yeah, doing well. Doing well. Always as of recently, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, doing well. You know, sometimes the show is going through changes, and that's just the way we got to do it. <laughs> oh, that was, that was uh, a good one. <laughs> you know, that's, I, I want to make that my signature of just like anytime there's a song involved, just like yes. referencing the song in some yeah, way. I've legitimately yeah. like listened to that song, like added it to my Spotify because I enjoy it so much. So, yeah. That's so funny. Well, Barry, if you have a guest host, Barry, you want to give us the, uh, you want to sing just that one line of the song? <laughs> Started out on the right foot. I didn't, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> That's fair. Oh, I thought we'd, I thought we'd all three do it at the very end. Just like take us out. That works for you yeah, guys. We, we could do that too. <laughs> cool. I'll do, I'll do the harmonies. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, but if you haven't guessed already, we're talking about the Netflix original Big Mouth. Um, uh, before we get really into Big Mouth, let's talk to Dr. Scroggs a little bit about who you are, what you research, what kind of your research passion and your passion in general kind of is. So why don't you give us a quick intro to who is Dr. Barrett Scroggs? That's a, that might take a while, um, but uh, the gist of it. So, uh, yes, as you said, I'm a assistant professor of human development and family studies at Penn State at the Mon Alto campus. Um, and most of my research looks at the transition from adolescence to adulthood um, and more specifically looking at the experiences of LGBTQ folks, um, but also looking at things um, uh, like sexual guilt and other things that are happening um, related to sexuality and identity during um, adolescence and emerging adulthood. So. Um, issues re related to those things, as well as things like religiosity and LGBTQ folks and group identification and kind of how they connect with each other. So all things kind of under that big umbrella. Gotcha. Well, as soon as you said sexual guilt, uh, I thought about Big Mouth. I mean, there's, <laughs> not, <a good> story. <laughs> there's not a better representation of uh, being awkward and sexual guilt that I can think of on TV than Big Mouth is. It's pretty central theme. Um, when did you first kind of engage with the show? So I, uh, very recently I was online and I saw an article. Um, I think that I knew kind of it existed in my periphery, but it, and I read an article, um, talking about how, um, in this most recent season, there was a character that was kind of exploring their bisexuality. Um, and now as somebody that researches LGBTQ issues and sexuality, I was really interested in that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I, I almost just kind of found the episode just to watch that episode, but I'm glad I didn't. I actually started back at the first episode and just watched it. Um, and, uh, I watched the first episode and was hooked. Um, and so, so yeah, so it kind of came, um, about through my research topics and that sort of thing. And just kind of hearing about the show, um, 
And then uh, it was, as you were kind of talking about the concept of sexual guilt and in, in season two, you know, the, um, the, the shame wizard, um, I was literally uh, doing uh, finishing revisions on a paper that just got published on sexual guilt. And I text messaged my, uh, my, my two co-authors. I was like, y'all have to go watch big mouth. <laughs> it's literally our study. In That's cartoon. so funny. So, well, before uh, it, was, it might kind of come up naturally, but do you want to um, talk a little bit about your findings from that? Since sure, yeah. So it's a, it's a study that just got published in Sexuality and Culture, um, and what we were looking at was um, how does sexual guilt during adolescence predict the development of uh, self-esteem across the, the transition to adulthood. And we found that it does have some significant, um, some significant influence, not only just on um, sexual guilt predicting later levels, lower levels of self-esteem, but also specifically in people of color, we're finding that um, the sexual guilt during adolescence is significantly associated with the slope of change and the trajectory of change of self-esteem across oh. uh, the, the 10 15 years from adolescence to adulthood. That's really interesting. I think, you know, I think sometimes it's kind of commonplace to think, oh, it's just a phase they're going through. It's not going to like affect them later on. But like sometimes things that happen in adolescence really do have like those long reaching consequences. Yeah. And and what my research has found and then others um, as well, um, it's, it's not just the behavior that is causing and is associated with the lower levels and the, the mm -hmm. impact on self-esteem, but it's the adolescence cognitive processing of the whole thing. So right. how they're processing the act. So it's not just the sexual act that's influencing self-esteem. It's how the adolescent is actually kind of shaping and, and processing their experience. Yeah. How they make meaning out of the experience and how Absolutely. like everything that happens around it. Yeah. Which yeah. there's again, we're going to come back to this. Well, there's so much of this oh, to absolutely. talk about. Big mouth, it's crazy. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so uh, I already know the answer to this, but the people don't know the answer. Denzel, do you like this show at all? Is this like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I've been on record before of uh, <laughs> I say about ninety eight percent of the other podcasts and saying like. Yeah, I haven't seen this show. I'm just going to come <laughs> up here and, and, and wing it and we'll see what happens. But so this is one of the few shows that we've actually recorded that I have watched a plethora of times, both seasons really? at least more than 10 times. So, so love it. Love Big Mouth and everything. Yeah, yeah. I, there's been times where I've been talking to you about Netflix or TV show and it's like, and your response will be, yeah, it's better than rewatching Big Mouth for the 10th time, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't blame you. I've, I've actually rewatched it a couple of times myself, and I just rewatched it um, recently for this podcast. And it's it's a pretty quick watch, so it, make, it makes sense why that would be the case. And it's it, it hooks you in really well. It's, it it's very bitch worthy for sure. It does. I think it's it's a nice mix of uh, really great informative information and kind of normalizing some of you know, experiences, and also just engaging an older adult audience with some of its more kind of crude humor and. Mm -hmm. being able to uh i guess externalize or like personify some of those things but yeah i so, think yeah. they do a brilliant job of like playing both sides just like doing like ridiculous grotesque stuff and then doing stuff that's like really intelligent and like makes you think so when i yeah. think especially in season two i think in season two we go <laughs> deeper than i thought was possible um you know season one obviously mm -hmm. has some really some depth there but Season two, and I, I imagine we'll, we'll be talking about some of the things, but especially things related to Jesse and, and, oh, and yeah. her experience related oh, to her yeah. divorce. Like, there's mm. things that I think that I, I was unex I was not expecting um, the depth that they were able to achieve. But And also, I yeah, think that one, I of agree. The, one of the cool things I've also noticed is that for me as an adult watching the show, 
I'm able to process and think about my adolescent experiences in yes. a different way and, and, uh, and normalize it, but also to kind of think yeah. about, you know, uh, like, man, I wish, uh, what would it have been like if I had seen this show when I was 13 and 14? So, yeah. 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 yeah I thought about that a lot too. It, it has given me a lot of, um, I guess nightmare flashbacks. I don't think anyone enjoyed middle school. I don't, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's like, well, middle school was the best. Yes. I think it's just, just an awkward, just time. And I, it brings me back all the time. And I just, kind of, I honestly, like, I kind of shudder sometimes thinking about like middle school. I just was so uncomfortable and awkward and, um, all the time. So it's, it's very interesting to kind of like relive those days through like this show that I really enjoy. Yeah. So how, how did you get involved with the show, Eric? All right, should we uh, should we jump in? Oh, um, also, um, just side note to people listening: this is only um, if you're listening in the future. Um, we haven't gotten to the future, season three or beyond. I know it's been renewed for season three, so if you're listening to this and expecting to hear about that, we it hasn't happened in our universe yet. Um, but I started watching it pretty closely after it came out. Um, I'm, I was like familiar with Nick Kroll from the league and from stand up, And I was a fan of John Mulaney stand up, And I just thought this was something. And I heard like reviews about it being really um, like sex positive and really interesting and really kind of like developmental. And I was like, okay, this is kind of up my alley. So I watched it and uh, just like Barrett, first episode in you're hooked. Um, first episode in there's like full frontal genitalia, like animated, but still like in the first <laughs> 10 minutes and, I mean, yeah. they really go for it. Mm. Nice. All right. So let's jump in. I know that um, one of the big themes, and I think this will come up a lot in general talking about the show, and it kind of fits in with talking about like sexual guilt and stuff like that, is um, the hormone monsters. Mm -hmm. And they are really what just, they just make this show. Um, so, uh, Barry, I'll give you kind of the first, uh, what are your first impressions kind of watching the show thinking about the hormone monsters? Well, I, one of the things I love is the diversity in the hormone monsters and, and, and that they're all the, how many do we meet? Three of them? Four. Um, four at this point. Four. Yeah. 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 So, so, so Tyler. They're all, they're all oh, I guess five. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, cause <laughs> the weird, like Jack one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember I his name. That. Well, I guess um, technically six because then there was also the really, the really, uh, for lack of better word, I guess not as smart one who was just kind of ditzy. Oh, she, yeah. She made a brief appearance. Yes. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But, but yeah, I, I appreciate that that uh, that we see some, that hormones can, you know, developmentally, we can see that hormones can embody themselves in different ways for different people. Um, but uh, one of the things that... Uh, that I'm really interested in just is just how the hormone monsters um, kind of either encourage the development of romantic relationships or sexual relationships, but also the ways in which they prevent it from happening. And so um, kind of them as uh, this, this, this uh, something that's either kind of encouraging the relationship or kind of blocking it and stopping it um, for, for better, or for worse. So, yeah. Say more about that. Well, I think that uh, so uh, one of the first things that I'm thinking about is just kind of um, how uh, uh, 
it's almost like the hormone monsters is like giving words to somebody like Andrew. Um, and so like, uh, Oh gosh, what was it? Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact, the, some of the exact language that he was saying, but some of the, it's, it's, um, he's giving like horrible advice. Um, uh, <laughs> it's as if like, he's, what is, what's the, what's that character that like speaks for somebody else when he's trying to like, woo somebody sir out to bergerac yeah yes yeah. and so it's it's that like like he's you know he's trying he's he's giving andrew things to say um <laughs> and completely misreading it the and worst serano ever <laughs> yes um, just worst advice period but like that's yeah. just that's what, that's what you're getting from him um and so uh so yeah so just like that horrible advice there um that that's um i that or the I example just, of um, Andrew having or being like playing games with Missy and her parents, and <laughs> those are the best. <laughs> I don't know if I should say that on the podcast. It might change our rating. But I know. I'm sorry. I should have. Are you going to practice it in the mirror later? And he's like, no, no, it's just not natural. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah. But also, I mean, not only just the romantic relationships, one of the things I think that they do a nice job of is showing how the hormone monsters can influence the friendship. So like between Nick and Andrew, we see them get like rage fights at least twice. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's encouraged and instigated by the hormone monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so that like those, like, I, I think that they do a, a really nice job of presenting development, the biological development that's happening by showing how our biology influences our social relationships. And so the biology, that hormone, that those hormones that are inside of us are influencing obviously our sexual romantic relationships, but even just our friendships as well. Um, so, yeah. Especially with Andrew, cause you see that uh, the most, cause he's the one who's followed by the hormone monster, like from the very beginning. Right. So mm-hmm. the other like hormone monster comes in later or whatever, but Andrew's kind of the one where you're introduced to the hormone monster and um, you see Andrew kind of, go after Nick. You see Andrew go after his dad at one point, uh, which is my favorite because Oklahoma <laughs> Monstro like regrows hair while he's yeah. getting angry. <laughs> um, but yeah, you really see how uh, it kind of externalizes this kind of like um, desire to kind of like be reactive and to uh, kind of give in to kind of those primal anger feelings or whatever. And it's kind of really interesting to watch because Andrew's such a... Um, I don't know, a timid kid, but to see him like rage is totally different than his normal <laughs> self. Yeah. Yeah. I think to add on to what Barrett was saying about the diversity of it, I think on a, like on a personal level and thinking back to like adolescence and so like, it's not a perfect fit, but like as like you were introduced to different hormone monsters and monstrouses, like you were at, or at least for me, I was able to see like, Ah, huh, that would probably be my hormone monster. Although <laughs> I really wish that was my hormone monster. And like being able to again, like kind of visually see and process like what that was for me as an adolescent growing up in retrospect was was interesting. Well, and one of the things I thought was so interesting is in season two where, um, so we, we've, we've been introduced to the hormone monsters, monstresses this whole time, and then we get the shame wizard. And so seeing how in the end, the hormone monsters are also standing up to the shame wizard and saying that like, and, and kind of aligning themselves with, with the, with the kids and with the, the, the teenagers. And so, um, I just found that so interesting, the, uh, that, that, even the hormone monsters were fighting back against the, the shame wizard. Yeah. Shame wizard was such an interesting 
character as well. It kind of comes in season two. I get it. Mostly, mostly Andrew, but then there's the episode where it like starts to kind of like interact with everyone. Yeah. Well, and, and coming back to this, this concept of how like the, just like the hormone monster is kind of encouraging and preventing relationships. Um, the, the shame wizard does the same thing. And so where we see, um, you know, Andrew and Lola, um, one of the <laughs> interesting relationships I find, uh, from the, the show so far. Um, and with Andrew and Lola, like that, um, you know, they have that kind of the hormone monster encourages that physical experience. And, um, there's some, some dry humping that occurs, um, rubbing per, front. <laughs> per normal with Andrew. Um, and so, uh, and, and so recognize, and, but, and so Andrew doesn't want to pursue it, but then that shame wizard comes in, um, and is basically kind of like, you know what, beggars can't be choosers. Like you've got somebody that's interested in you, like you're never going to get anything aside better than this. And so, um, uh, kind of in, in staying with that. Um, and so, um, and then we also, we get to see how that shame comes out in like, once Andrew and Lola are together and like he feels uh, shame and embarrassment about like kissing in public and at school and those sorts of things. Um, and uh, yeah, I also love that. That was, I would think that was the same episode where the, the shame wizard gets the um, hormone monster drunk um, and just kind of like distracts <laughs> the hormone monster right. while he, the shame wizard takes over um, to control that relationship. Did he tell mm-hmm. him like everyone likes you better whenever you had a shot? And he was like, that what people are saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh goodness yeah shame the shame wizard brings up kind of an interesting concept and you know we talked you talked about sexual guilt earlier and uh, we can talk about the difference between guilt and shame if that's something that makes sense but what kind of do you see as the role of shame in um in the show and then how does that kind of play out and like how it kind of might manifest in kind of real life relationships or real life development. I, I'm, I'm not sure if this is kind of the answer to the question, but what I will say is that I'm, I think that one of the things I appreciate about kind of the time in which we're living right now is I think that there are, are more open conversations and more vulnerable conversations around shame. I, I know that for myself, it, it was reading Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly, a couple of years ago, that I finally had a language for what I was experiencing and my own experiences of shame. I just didn't have the words to, to talk about it until reading that book. Um, and so I think that um, one of the things I love about this show is that it once again kind of personifies and kind of creates this character that embodies shame. Um, and, uh, and we see how it messes with these relationships where it makes people feel um, like the things that they're doing are, are horrible, like Missy. It makes Missy feel so horrible at, um, about getting caught with, um, with her, what, with the stuffed animal. Um, yeah. And it's like, no, like if it, once you take a step back, it's like, that by a lot, that developmental milestone was, was normal. And, um, and so then, and, and with that, and then also, um, characters feeling shame about, um, you know, uh, their sexual experiences like Andrew, um, characters feeling shame, like Matthew, not necessarily feeling, um, you know, he's kind of out and proud and that's, and, and, and when we meet him, but still feeling shame connected with that, you can still be, out and be open about your sexual orientation and still feel shame connected to it. And so we see at that, at the, the, the sleepover at the school, we see that 
being manifested in all the different ways, the different ways that shame is, is uh, influencing a, is a person. But then I love, I just love so much the, the moment we get to see them fight back against the shame wizard. Yeah. Now, having, of course, like you said, not season three is not out yet. I don't think we've seen the last of the shame wizard. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think that, I think that we'll, uh, and just at least kind of um, what my understanding would be is that, you know, we, yes, we can stand up to our, to shame, but that it still can come back and and that sort of thing. And um, yeah. Quick follow-up question, Barrett. Uh, I guess personally, what is your relationship with the character of the shame wizard? Like, do you like him? Do you not? Do you think this purpose is, it's good or evil? I guess kind of what's your own personal beliefs about the shame wizard? So like what, what are, I'm, I'm not sure I understand. So, so what? So, I'll, so I'll, I guess I'll start out by kind of telling you what, what I think about the shame wizard and that might kind of make it uh, a little bit more clear. And so for me with the shame wizard, uh, I find myself kind of in this love hate relationship with the shame wizard. Uh, and attentions aside, because I'm not certain at, at this point, if his, if his attentions are positive or not. Um, but what we can see is that it, he really has a lot of negative effects on these children, their relationships. And that's kind of like the overt picture that's being painted. That's like the, our dominant narrative or our dominant script. Right. And I also think there's also this subjugated piece that, that, that we're not seeing where the shame wizard is kind of like, uh, maybe people do need some level of shame in the sense of, like if we didn't have shame at all, like what would our actions and our behaviors be? Would would they be more positive or would they be more detrimental? And um, and so like just as I'm thinking about that and wrestling with like what is his role and his value, ultimately I think I, I come down to this point of where I think that the shame wizard can be a really good character and like not only like a character, but like in real life development. However, I think that the shame wizard is abusing the power that the shame wizard has and is doing like very negative things. I, I think yeah. like in, in moderation, I, I would I would believe that like the shame wizard could be something that was good. And it reminds me of this uh, Andre 3000 lyric where he says, thank you, Lord, for throwing some shy bones in my body. Let me tell you why. But like ultimately he was uh, saying, uh, you know, thank you for making him shy because if he wasn't, he would just go around having sex with everyone. And so it's like not quite the correlation to the shame wizard, but I guess I'm kind of interested in seeing like, uh, you know, kind of what are your thoughts for him? Or like, even if you think about moving into season three, what would you hope to see from the shame wizard? Yeah. And I think what you're getting at is, is the, like even the kind of a concept of like moral development yeah. that, you know, um, mm-hmm. so yes, like, is it, it is, it is still important for us to, to understand and to develop our ability to recognize right and wrong, um, and good and bad and those sorts of things. I think that one of the things we get into is of course, these gray areas, um, that, um, like, is it bad that, um, Missy is, is masturbating and kind of, and, and experiencing that with her stuffed animal? Is it bad Mm -hmm. that, um, Andrew, um, you know, ha- ha- dry humped and, and on both on Lola and Missy and those sorts of things yeah. or, um, uh, but then also kind of thinking about things in moderation. And so, mm-hmm. you know, like some of these acts, um, I'm, I can go off on a tangent here, but go for it. I think that, <laughs> no, I think that, I think that the, 
the it's these gray areas that um, the shame wizard kind of shines a light on. But I also think that um, it's like, yes, it is. It is a good thing for us to recognize kind of right and wrong. But in these situations, I think that what what we get at with shame and with the shame wizard is recognizing that we're not alone in our experiences of this, that other people mm-hmm. um, have these experiences and other people um, have made these mistakes or do these things and that we're not the only one. Um, I had not thought about the shame wizard as a, as a protagonist, as a positive character. So yeah. that's why I was originally confused by your question. Cause I do not associate the shame wizard with a positive, um, light gotcha. because of the fact that I think that there's a difference between guilt and shame. And I think that if this was the mm-hmm. guilt wizard, I think that's what you're getting at that. Yes. Is it a, okay. is it a, is it a good thing that like, was it, is it, is it respectful for Andrew to, to dry hump on, onto Lola? Like let's, let's, let's pull out and have conversations around consent and those sorts of things. Um, and that's a whole nother issue. That's a whole, you know, another, another thing, yeah. but is it bad that he is masturbating? Yeah. And so, but so is it, is he, feeling guilty about it, this feeling guilty about this behavior, or is it the shame that I think when I talk about shame, I talk about how shame kind of sits deeper and mm-hmm. that it, it gets kind of more to the core of, um, the, it's, I think guilt is what I did was bad. And I think shame is I am a bad person. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, that, that is where the difference is. So that's why I can't see the shame wizard as a positive thing. If this was the guilt mm-hmm. wizard, I think that'd be a totally different thing. Okay. Yeah. I think, uh, I oh, go for it. I was going to say, I wouldn't be surprised if we see changes in the shame wizard becoming the guilt wizard, because we saw him start to change towards the end of the season. Mm -hmm. And I was actually thinking a lot of the same things you are, Barrett, because, you know, it's that idea of kind of like us policing ourselves and like having guilt is, you know, it can be positive. It's not pleasant to feel, but it can be positive. Can can I direct our behavior? But that feeling of shame and that feeling of that like internal, there's something wrong with me often leads to, and this is more anecdotally as a therapist than anything else, but like often leads to like those behaviors continuing. Cause almost like I don't have control. I'm a terrible person. So like, why would I even try to change it? Mm -hmm. So like those feelings of shame often kind of like make problem behaviors, quote unquote, or whatever the case you want to call it, but like can cause some of those things to kind of like be more likely to happen and kind of like get into a spiral where you're continuing to do things and feeling bad about it and saying it's part of you and you can't get out of it um, versus like feeling guilty about um, an event, but like, okay, that's not who I am. I can, I'm, everyone makes mistakes. I can kind of learn from this. Yeah. Well, and like with the shame wizard, the shame wizard was, was monopolizing on these behaviors. And so he was saying, yeah. look at what you did. And that also connects over here. And so you should feel, you should feel bad about this part of your life. And that should make you feel bad about this part of your life. You know, and I also think about, um, uh, his, his inability to, uh, to make, um, the coach feel (laughs) coach Steve, (laughs) coach Steve. Yeah. Cause coach Steve is just, you know, I just, they're sitting randomly in the bath stall. um, (laughs) uh, Exactly. But, and so that's where I come back to as well, that this, I don't think the shame wizard, at least in the current where where we've seen him right now is a positive thing because he is, he Mm. is trying his hardest. He is not going to let up until um, coach Steve feels that shame. Um, Coach Steve wants to be the shame wizard's best friend. Yeah. Somebody's talking to him, so he's happy. So, um, yeah, but yeah, I, I am interested to see kind of where we go with this in season three. Because yeah, I don't think I don't think we're done with the shame wizard. 
Um, and I, I was reading an, an interesting article or an interview. I forget if it was a video, but it was, um, uh, the, the, it was them talking about kind of why they made him the shame wizard as opposed to the shame monster or something like that. Cause we've got the mm-hmm. hormone monster. Why not just make it the shame monster? But they talked about that. They wanted the shame wizard to have this magic power to him that there was, that he's a wizard. Like he's, he's able to like have this magic power and not just, he's not just like a scary thing. It's mm-hmm. he's got a power over us. And I think that was really telling as well that, um, that, yeah, that he's got that power to, to make, uh, the characters um, feel like they are not not worth anything. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's really interesting. I think like the wizard piece like really homes in on that, but also like when watching like through and really noticing like and so like for me language is super super important. But like, mm-hmm. he is by far the most witty character in Big Mouth, and for him like he manipulated people in so many different ways just through his words, mm-hmm. and I was like. If I have those intentions, I would have never thought to take that angle. And like, so when you mention like those powers and things like, it's like, yes, he was a wizard, but like his really, like his power was the language that he used and how he was able to manipulate in that way. So, yeah. And I bet that's why they chose a British actor to do it too. Cause we kind of have those kind of like connotations to someone being British of kind of like being witty and kind of like very smart and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, definitely. Uh, Barrett, you uh, you answered uh, what I was looking for, and I was like trying not to lead you too much when I was asking like, <laughs> what do you hope for in season three? But uh, but yeah, so like I had a lot of like those similar experiences, and like Eric was saying, like I'm really hoping like he can become a guilt wizard as opposed to a shame wizard, but I don't I don't know I don't know how how like uh, what angle they'll take with that, or like even how realistic that would be to like completely get rid of shame like outside of just a cartoon. So what's interesting is I think back to season one where Andrew is dating is, is having the, has the relationship with Missy. Um, and it's interesting because we hadn't met the shame wizard yet, but even then he was feeling, I think guilt Mm -hmm. in that he, so I remember he specifically was choosing not to masturbate because he quote, didn't want to sully the relationship. Um, he didn't want to think about Missy. He didn't want to think about anybody. He just, quitting cold turkey um and of course we see kind of how that ends up um but But to be fair it was all a dream that's true that's true (laughs) but no go ahead as if it was because i mean they played it off like it was real yeah but i think but i think kind of within that that the uh that 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 could be a, a kind of guilt piece that i don't think he was feeling horrible about himself i think that he was just saying you know what this is right wrong this is what i want piece like you were yeah yeah absolutely so i think that even before we saw the shame wizard, I think that we saw that guilt or at least kind of, I don't know even guilt, but just kind of a, there was a processing going on. Um, uh, and of course the hormone monster was not having that, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, the yeah. seeds were being planted though, pretty early on that that could be a possibility that they would get into that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I really, but yeah, I, I know I said this already, but I really like how you kind of differentiated the shame piece and the guilt piece mm-hmm. and just how we talk about those two separate, but can be somewhat interrelated things as it relates to like our own social constructions of the different behaviors and like what messages or meanings we give to them. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I keep coming back to the, the episode where they, they turn the tables and they stand up to the shame wizard because, but what they do is they say, 
this is who I am. And they, they're vulnerable and they're open. Um, and you know, we see, you know, Nick is wandering around (laughs) on the segue. And, uh, and Andrew's giving a tour of the places again, not, we're still not okay with some of these behaviors. We're giving a tour of the places to masturbate in the school. And so, so we're seeing, but we're seeing them being vulnerable, seeing them, we're seeing them being open about those things. And, uh, and obviously, the show, I think, does a nice job of saying vulnerability and openness is great within moderation, because then we also see that there is some repercussions for the fact that, like, they literally destroyed the school yeah. in their, like, vulnerable, open kind of thing. Um, so, so yeah, I think the show does a nice job of, of talking about some of these things within moderation. Um, but, yes, like, there's oh there's oversharing there's there's a point where you you you're oversharing you're being too open but that vulnerability is a positive thing um and that vulnerability comes as soon as we get rid of as soon as we say goodbye to the shame wizard as soon as we say we're done with you that's when that vulnerability shows up yeah yeah they should have like a vulnerability um i don't know a, goddess a vulnerability goddess yes. yeah like they had, like they had, like the DNA and the like the other, <laughs> the other people at, at the headquarters. Yeah. I can't remember the other one's names, but me neither. Yeah. <laughs> All I know is like between the guilt, uh, the guilt wizard, and the um, uh, what was one you just said? The what goddess? I just lost vulnerability it. Goddess. The vulnerability goddess. We should be writing for the show as all. I know. We literally like come on, Nicole, John Laney, y'all come at, come talk to us. Yeah, but I I would be interested to know because I there has to be like it seems like there's some sort of like developmental scientist in the house (laughs) working with because because like the not only just like the content of like the 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 plot lines but like the information they're presenting I I've been really really impressed with it so but seriously come talk yeah me too yeah. Get on that. You can find oh, relevate podcast at dot com. So hit us up. <laughs> Say it one more time. Uh, you into Barrett. Relevate podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> anyway, I, I also really like that uh, one of my favorite lines uh, from the Shame Wizard was I don't even remember who he was talking to. I think it was the hormone monster, but someone mentioned why is the Shame Wizard going after Nick? And it's like, oh, parents did quite did so well at raising his self-esteem i can't get to him at yeah, all he was talking and it made boring. me think about yeah i was thinking so much about like the parents and their roles and like the development of the kids as well and i wondered um i i think a lot about nick's parents because i i think nick's parents are the coolest i love nick's yes. parents yeah, yeah. Uh, my wife and i honestly watch and say like are we gonna be like that as parents and oh, <laughs> absolutely yes <laughs> yeah so how do you feel like the relationships with their parents uh, influence their relationships, their development, how they interact with the hormone monster and shame wizard and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think that the show does a really interesting, a nice job of showing different family relationships um, that we see. Yeah, like we see with Nick's parents that they are open and they are sex positive and they are um, they are comfortable with affection and those sorts of things then we so see, loving yeah yes and absolutely even with judd who seems like would be like the <laughs> most rebellious like anger inducing kid ever uh-huh. and his dad's just like oh i love that kid <laughs> like it's yep. just so funny yep. to watch and uh and and we see how and not only what you're talking about with andrew but we see how that the, that parent parental influence produces 
um, a, a healthy view of sexuality and about their identities and those sorts of things. So that Nick, um, yeah, like self-esteem, we're, we're in a good place. And even, uh, even Leah, his sister Leah, that we see her ability to stand up and say, you know, this experience that I'm having at the party, like this is not okay. And so we're seeing how these healthy relationships from the parents can produce some really positive um, behaviors in the, in the children. Absolutely. Then we get to see, you know, parents like Andrews, which for entertainment, entertainment purposes, Andrews parents are, are great. For yes. actual real life. I'll let Barrett get more into that. Yeah. Can I just mention one more thing about Nick's parents too, yeah. is that, um, it's not like because Nick's parents are a certain way, Nick never experiences any negative feelings. He still goes through a lot of the things and still like has doubts about himself and, um, and even like can be a little, maybe grandiose isn't the right word, but, um, still believes he's going to be a point guard for the Knicks, even though he's super yeah. tiny, like, you know, like there's still some things there. Um, but overall the way his parents are have kind of like helped him in, in, in a way and develop in a way that has been really healthy. Well, and I think with the, Nick's is a great example of, of how parental attachment um, can, can yeah, influence those things. And we also see what happens when Nick um, tries to deny it and kind of tries to move away from his mom and say, I don't you know. <laughs> Uh, don't tuck me in, you know, don't call me Nikki. Um, and at the same time, then we get to see somebody like Jay coming in who is, who desires that so much, so um, much because yeah. being in a, being in a household, um, with, with very distant parents or very uninvolved parents. Um, and, uh, just kind of the, the ninth, I think those two kind of on, on a spectrum in, in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, but and, like coming back to, Aunt, uh, to Andrew's parents, um, the yes, some comedic relief for sure. Um, but talk about some parents that are, um, the opposite of sex positive, you know, that we're seeing, like, we see where that shame is coming from, yeah. um, where, uh, any, I forget, I forget some of these experiences, but I remember the dad, I feel like multiple times said to Andrew, like, what did you do to her? Like, what did you do? Like what mm -hmm. it's immediately kind of going to this, um, this negative place. Um, and so, yeah. And seeing kind of, but at the same time, then we see that the, his parents can still find a way to, to show affection and to, and to, to love each other. And, and that's where they, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for cutting off there. I know exactly where you were going. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. um, but then yeah. I think, uh, uh, you know, then we also uh, kind of ours also talked about Jay's parents a little bit, but then even a, a, a big part of, um, especially season two, uh, is Jesse's parents and, yeah. uh, the, the dissolution of, of, of their relationship. Um, the emergence of, of, um, the mom's, uh, girlfriend and those sorts of things. And, um, and really how that, uh, that relationship can influence Jesse's development. And I, like I said earlier, I think that one of the things, I think the strongest piece of season two was seeing the dark places that Jesse goes. Um, I, I love that we did and that, that we're also able to see her resiliency, but that, uh, that we see, um, yeah, we see kind of what that that influence and how her hormone monsters plays into that. Um, and then I love the scene, um, not love in a way that I, you know, I loved what was happening, but I think it was a very beautiful scene was um, all of Jesse's 
kind of parts of her life talking about her at the board table, boardroom table. And that's where we see that we need to bring in, um, you know, that's where we start having conversations around depression and those sorts of things. And I, once again, I think that they did a really nice job of presenting some, um, tough conversations in a, in an interesting way. Yeah. And I love how they portrayed depression too, because I feel like, um, depression in kind of a weird way is almost adaptive for Jesse because so much is going wrong for Jesse that it's like adaptive or kind of like to shut down to like drink melted ice cream and watch friends all day because so much stuff is going badly around her like to kind of like feel normal or okay like shutting down and doing nothing might be like what she feels like she needs to do. And like this idea of like the depression cat kind of like giving her almost like comfort Mm -hmm. um, and like almost comfort coming from depression. So I thought that was a really interesting way of kind of like presenting it. Cause I don't think that's the normal take people have about depression um, that it's like almost adaptive uh, for people or it can be. Yeah. And so um, as I'm thinking about, we're kind of like talking through like different people's parents uh, I guess, what do you think about like Missy's parents? Oh, I love Missy's parents. <laughs> too. Well, and, and once again, we see some sex positivity there that, you know, and, and, and especially thinking about um, empowerment for women, empowerment for girls and those sorts of things. And so um, I, I think that, yeah, I think that once again, we get to see some, some positive with that. I, I, I think that and one of the most like, weirdly accurate portrayals of women's bodies happens in this like weird show. Yes. The fact that they went to that Korean spot and they like had this whole thing about different women's shapes and like, you know, like trying to be like really normal, normative about like, this is what women look like. It's not necessarily what you usually see on TV. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, kind of comparing Missy's parents to, uh, to maybe like Nick's parents, like still sex positivity and, and, and those sorts of things, but in different ways that like, for sure, like that Nick's parents are high energy and enthusiastic and, um, and, and, and that Missy's, we see that it's just a different personality. They can still be sex positive and encourage, um, and, or uh, encourage some positive things and discourage that shame, um, that, uh, um, but, but in different ways. Now, once again, we see that, um, Missy still deals with that. Like we, sh- she still is, uh, deals with the shame wizard. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, her, it, it's not a perfect situation, but one okay. could, one could argue that um, is is she getting the shame from her parents or is that shame coming from her peers, from the media, those sorts of things. Right. With Andrew, I think a lot of that shame is coming from the parents. Um, yeah. So. Uh, um, so, yeah, it's just I, I think that they, they presented it in a nice way that, yeah, like Absolutely. you were saying earlier, Eric, that, yeah, just because they had great parents doesn't mean that they are immune to uh, these negative experiences. Right. And other side note, too, like. um I feel like I might be arguing with a straw man here, but sex positive doesn't mean like everything's okay. And I think that needs to be said too. Cause like Missy's parents put up boundaries too. Like when whatever happened where her and Andrew went out to that um, party and there were some uh, moms pushing as it was later coined. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> she still set boundaries and like, this isn't like, okay for where you're at. And like, we need to still set a boundary, but like didn't encourage the shame in the same way that, um, Andrew's dad did by calling yeah. him a pervert and, and saying, what did you do to her? And kind of like, yeah. And tell him to go push the lawnmower with his mons. 
wasn't telling me well, to go into that prison. I, I do. I I found it very interesting that uh, Lola and Andrew's dad were like kind of yeah. best friends. You know, immediate connection there. So that's I totally forgot about that. Like that was friends, and they were like both against Andrew. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which, coming back to the Shame Wizard, as I think everything should, um, which which makes a lot of sense that uh, that those those were places where his shame was coming from, and so yeah, it makes a lot of sense that they're connected. Um, so yeah. yeah, and I I want to kind of like um, I don't know, not necessarily defend Andrew's parents, but just kind of like critically think about like where they're coming from too, and like you can see this more with his mom than his dad, but like. I think there's a lot of like guilt, maybe shame. And they don't really go into what the parents too much wrapped up in. Like when Andrew does something wrong, like you see his mom's reaction thinking that she did something wrong or like she messed it up or something like that. And then that gets put back on Andrew. She'll react in a way that kind of make Andrew feel bad or kind of like, and I imagine the same, a similar thing happens with the dad, right? Like the fact that he's so reactive and the fact that he's so kind of like, and yes, a lot of it's just like played for laughs, but the fact that he's so reactive to Andrew, like, I wonder if there's like something else going on for him. That's kind of like having him react in a way instead of like allowing him to connect with his son. Yeah. Well, and I, and, and that's an excellent point. I also think another piece could be the fact that, you know, that Nick's parents have been through this twice. You know, they've got, they've got two older kids now. And so I, does Andrew, is Andrew an only child? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. It was, it was so. hinted. He doesn't have was, any siblings in the show. It was hinted at that he had another one that uh, that may or may not have got aborted in the Planned Parenthood episode. But That's right. Well, and so like not and not to say that first time parents or parents who only have one child cannot like are incapable of being successful and dealing with these things. But right, it, could, yeah. it could be it could be that um, that Nick's. Like I would be interested to see like what were Nick's parents great when Judd was going through this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so we don't know, but um, yeah. uh, that maybe they've had a little bit more practice with it. I don't know, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's I think it is a good point to to that we can't you know once again it's with with Andrew's parents they're such comedic relief. Not that I mean all the parents are hilarious, but um, oh. that intentionally you know having somebody like Richard Kind playing uh, Andrew's <laughs> dad, um, <laughs> perfect. Um, and great, so yeah, uh, great casting. This yeah. show has great casting in general. Completely. Um, Kristen Bell plays the pillow that Jay. That's like, right. with. Like <laughs> they got Kristen Bell to play a sexual pillow. Like how do yeah. how do you how else? Yeah. 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 But yeah. So I think that, uh, yeah, the casting for sure was, was perfect. So good. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, with, uh, I guess before moving on from Andrew's parents, like being able to empathize with them, I think that's why they're so hilarious to me was because like, those were like my parents and and like so i'm not sure if it's a like a a defense mechanism like you know humor and laughter and, and all that kind of stuff or if it's like i genuinely think that they're funny but uh like just growing up in my own development like i could definitely see myself as andrew like sitting awkwardly on his bed as his mom tries to like show him how to put a condom on a banana and then his dad walking in and, and just kind of being like next time you want to know something how about you shut your face like like that, those were like so my parents so like being able to connect with andrew in that way like i'm able to emphasize with his parents in that way yeah so it's just it's really funny to be able to like put yourself in those situations that's a great scene i forgot about that scene too <laughs> yeah, bar what are you doing my good banana <laughs> oh it tastes like condom <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Great scene. Oh man. One of the things that we haven't really, uh, that kind of the whole reason I even started watching the show was the, was conversations around sexual orientation that I think the show also does a really nice job in handling. Um, cause once again, we have a character, um, like Matthew who is out and proud when we meet him that, mm-hmm. um, with this show, with a lot of these other shows uh, that are out nowadays, the plot line isn't just the coming out process for the the LGBTQ child. And so that whereas, you know, five, 10 years ago, stereotypically, that was the plot of any um, kind of LGBTQ character was the coming out. And nowadays we're seeing characters like Matthew, who when we meet him, he's out and proud um, and, uh, and voiced by Andrew Randall's once again, phenomenal casting on that one. So, um, but I, I, I love a couple of things about Matthew. Um, the first being that we get to see him interacting with an older um, gay man. I was um, going to bring like, that up. Such a good, by so. the amazing Harvey Firestein. And so getting to see, that generational difference. Um, and I, it's, I, I think that that, that is just a nice tip of the hat to, um, what I think a lot of older LGBTQ folks feel is that these, the younger generations don't kind of understand from kind of their history. They don't know their own history. Um, and so, uh, that was just, that was a really cool moment, uh, to, to see that, um, uh, that exchange. And then, of course, we get to later see Matthew, uh, the development of, of what could uh, eventually be some sort of relationship with Jay. Um, I think that. Can I go of, back to uh, real yeah. quick with Matthew and the older gentleman? Yeah. Um, I think what you said about kind of like the gay character coming out being kind of like that's the way that TV shows made gay characters three dimensional. Yeah. They were either like one-off sassy gay characters, which Matthew was like, Matthew was just kind of like the sassy gay guy for a while, but they made him three-dimensional in a way through like, you didn't just go, Oh, he's a sassy gay guy or whatever. You started to see like where that came from, what kind of, what shame and guilt and feelings he has about himself and how that kind of plays out externally and how he's kind of like dealing with that and how like at the very end he was still kind of like okay i'm okay being sassy and whatever but i also need to kind of like think about these other parts of myself too or absolutely of like one of the one of my favorite moments with matthew was uh was when oh gosh i forget i think it was Devin uh was trying to like gossip with him or something like that and like the conversation around i'm not a girl well you're not a like you're not a boy like you're and that and and as as a gay man that is exactly what i dealt with growing up i still to this day deal with those moments where i don't fit i don't fit in girls night and i don't fit somehow in guys night um, I remember in college, my some of my other gay friends, we just started having gay guys night because we literally were excluded mm-hmm. from both sides of the spectrum. Like, uh, right. I'm getting into this whole gender being a binary, but anyways, but that's a whole other that's a whole other uh, thing. But I was excluded from the girls' night and from the guys' night, and so we had to create kind of our own space. And so seeing that kind of impact Matthew, and seeing how that mm-hmm. kind of um, brought a, a lot, brought along shame and those sorts of things. Um, yeah. I, I, one of the things that I'm really interested in is kind of the timing of when LGBTQ folks begin to be able to develop romantic relationships. Um, the, the kind of, um, the, the narrative I always talk about is the fact that, you know, whereas in middle school, all of my friends were 
dating each other and were kind of practicing being in a relationship. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, or I wasn't dating people that I was going to eventually date. And so then by the time I get to college and all of a sudden my friends are like settling down, I'm just now at a place where I'm wanting to start developing those romantic relationships. And so it's interesting with a character like Matthew, because uh, like Matthew did uh, did not have Matthew was already had already accomplished a lot of this identity development. So he could be kind of more, quote unquote, kind of on time in some of these romantic relationship milestones mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that, you know, whereas when I was 13, I was I was still not sure who I was. I didn't come out till I was 17. And so somebody like Matthew, who when we meet him is out and proud. What does that mean for his ability to um, to already to to know himself already and now be able to to start pursuing romantic relationships if that's something he wants to do? Nice. Yeah. And I did kind of want to talk about Andrew as well. Because Andrew in the first season, it was kind of a small, I think they overlooked this more than they could have, but like he was sexually aroused by the rock. And then that kind of behemoth thing is like, Oh, am I gay? And he's like, goes to being like, Oh, I'm definitely gay. And then Nick kisses him. He doesn't feel anything. He's like, Oh, I'm definitely not gay. Right. It's like, that's, too many shortcuts in terms of like a sexual development narrative. Yeah. Well, and um, I, I think that they kind of make up for, cause I agree that it was kind of rushed over. It was, yeah. it, I think that they make up for that with the plot line we get to see with Jay yeah. in that. I think that, cause yes, like, yeah, just cause he doesn't, doesn't, doesn't get it turned on by Nick. Doesn't mean he's not gay. That just make, that just means he's not attracted right. to Nick, you know? And so, um, I think that the, but I think what we see with Jay is that they do a really nice job of, distinguishing between behavior and identity and that we don't like, I, I even, when I talk about like, yeah, like that Jay is kind of exploring his bisexuality. We don't know what, we don't know what his identity is. We don't know what it's going yeah. to eventually be. Um, and so that, yeah, just cause he made out with uh, Matthew and just cause he pumped a pillow who identifies as a man, uh, <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't necessarily mean anything for his identity um, in season three when we catch back up. But, uh, but yeah, I think that uh, they, they do a nice job distinguishing between like, I like the behavior um, versus uh, um, an identity. Yeah. And it would be really nice if show, especially a show like this, where part of its intention is like kind of like educating or kind of like, maybe not educating that beat, like showing things like this. Can we use the word bisexual? Just, just once. Just, yeah. just once in there, can we use that word? Like Absolutely. Andrew goes from like, I'm definitely straight to I'm definitely gay to I'm definitely straight. And then Jay, I don't think they even used the word, bi- or, and I was going to say, um, uh, Jesse's mom, you know, Jesse's like, oh, so what, you're a lesbian now? And she's like, I don't know. And like, that's an opportunity to like, even like bring that in. She doesn't have to identify as bisexual. She could be lesbian and always been lesbian or identify as lesbian now. Like that, not necessarily the point, the point is just like using the term and like, I don't think they even use it with Jay either. You're, I think you're actually right. And I think that, you know, if once again, if Nick Kroll and John Mulaney and everybody's listening, like that, this is a space where we can see some of that, like in season three, recognizing that this is a space to talk about how bisexuality um, can exist in different um, amounts that like, like that doesn't necessarily mean that you uh, you're 50, 50, you know, and, and, and those sorts of things that we can think about yeah. um, how like Andrew can still exist as bisexual and be mostly attracted to, to women. Um, but uh, you know, maybe, you know, uh, and so, so yeah, I think that there's definitely some growth in some places that they could 
um, they could uh, kind of continue that development there. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, There's I mean, a lot of I've, TV shows that do that too. Cause like orange is a new black. And I, I have to go back and look, but they do the same thing where it's like, this person goes back and forth between straight and a lesbian. It's like, okay, well we could just talk about the fluidity of sexuality or right. we could just keep doing this back and forth thing, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, but I just like I I hope that they I hope that we continue to see a relationship between Jay and Matthew. I think that that um, I know that you know as a, a I would have loved to have seen that as a young queer kid, um, you know, watching a show like that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I I yeah, I'm excited to kind of see where where they go with that. Yeah, Jay's an interesting character as well. I don't know if we want to even get into. Hmm. The best way that it's ever described is the hormone monster says Jay is his own hormone monster. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I don't think he has one because I don't think Maury is his hormone monster. He, he I think Maury idolizes Jay, but I don't. Yeah. Well, and, and that actually brings up a good point that one of, I think, the one problematic piece about Jay possibly being bisexual is that the kind of the stereotype of bisexuality individuals that they are just, they, they just want to have sex with anything and everything. Um, and, and unfortunately that is who Jay is. Um, and so that, uh, yeah. So I think that that's one problematic piece about Jay being a character exploring his kind of sexual orientation in that if he does end up using the term bisexual, um, then what is that actually saying about the bisexual community? Yeah. yeah, and it would be great to see Andrew good on that road. I think that would be a great thing to come back to because that was like a really like rushed episode yeah. in terms of this episode where he's where he has the whole musical number with. Fred. By the way, Jordan Peele does an amazing yeah. Freddie Mercury. So good. Can you does. believe that? It sounded like Freddie Mercury. Anyway, like that whole musical happens. He's like about to be out and ready to go. Talks to Matthew about it. And then he's just like all of a sudden not gay anymore after he kisses yeah. Nick. And that just, it's, it's, it's too much. It's too many shortcuts. It's too many shortcuts. Like, Oh, I must be gay because I'm getting aroused by the rock to I'm definitely gay to I'm definitely not gay. Like it just, it's I mean, too many the shortcuts. Fact, the fact that we haven't said the term bisexual on the show is one thing, but I mean, this could also open us up to conversation drawn by romanticism, you know, yeah. like, one of the th reasons that Andrew was first even thinking about Nick was because the fact that they have this amazing connection and they have this relationship that is deep and they, they love each other and they care about each other. Um, and so what is, what does that mean? Like, how can we have conversations around the different types of attraction, the different types of yeah. like, this relationship? So, yeah. yeah. Cause maybe Andrew is really sexually aroused by the rock or maybe other men, but maybe he wouldn't be interested in relationships or, you know, some other combination of those things. Absolutely. Yeah. So as All right. whenever I think about, so like in terms of, I guess, specific relationships, when we think about uh, Nick and Jesse or Andrew and Missy, Andrew and Lola, Devin, oh, Devin and Devon, Nick and Gina, <laughs> Matthew and Jay, there was what Jay and Jesse had a thing, then yeah. Jay and his plethora of, of pillows. I guess when we think <laughs> about like all these different relationships, is there maybe one or two that you'd like to jump deeper into in in talking with us about Barrett? Hmm, that's a good. I'm trying to think of ones we because some of these we've already kind of yeah, touched on a little bit. 
Um, I think that one of the things that they do kind of at the beginning when we see Nick and Jesse that uh, we haven't really kind of talked a lot about that relationship because once again, it was so fast, but I think that they, they do a nice job of talking about kind of the awkwardness of beginning a relationship with somebody who you were already friends with and then moving in and out of that relationship. Um, and so, uh, I, they, that's, I mean, that's one of the things that hooked us from the beginning is that awkwardness that they present so well, that awkwardness of Nikki, of Nick's and, and Jesse's relationship. Um, and so like, I remember when they first like started texting, like, what was it? She, uh, <laughs> sent like the video of the fisherman dog that yeah, like, yeah. Just, like something random. Uh-huh. And it's like, what does this mean? Like, um, and oh, then like gosh, the first time yeah. they saw each other in public and they didn't know how to like hug or handshake or, <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, uh, this kind of one thing that they do address a lot of times with, especially with Nick and Andrew is, um, how that relationship then left Andrew out and how the jealousy of the friendships came in. And so how Andrew was jealous of Nick and Jesse, but then later on we see Nick getting jealous, um, and of, of Andrew. And so how that kind of plays out. Yeah, for sure. And then. Do you want to talk about Nick and Gina? Cause we haven't mentioned Gina at all. And she yeah. kind of comes in the second season and that was kind of a, um, a fun story. And they kind of play with the idea of like, um, uh, some of this kind of like, obviously Gina developing kind of ahead of some of the other girls and getting more attention that way. And, um, people kept referring to her as the new girl and Jesse's like, she's been here the entire time. Yeah. Like there's not, right. like, she's not new. And then all of a sudden Nick's interested and Nick kind of goes through that quote unquote, like friend zone type feelings. And, um, <laughs> they go through a whole trajectory. I honestly don't remember where they left off. I remember she was mad at him after him telling his friends about stuff. Did we, did they ever reconnect after that? I don't remember. Okay. I don't think I they did. did. Yeah. yeah. I don't think, cause yeah, cause we left, we left Gina, um, not being happy. Yeah, okay. I think the last yeah. I could be wrong. I think the last we seen of Gina when is when the Shame Wizard episode when he left and she told uh what's the other girl's name? Uh Devin that mm-hmm. maybe like like sometimes she does like to get her boots felt and like that's okay. And like, I think that was the last mm-hmm. we seen of her. But there was never yeah. any uh I don't think there was a conversation with Nick about anything between yeah, those two. I think you're right. Yeah, so we just need to see where that goes. But there's an yeah. that was an interesting story and I think that it kind of played with this idea of like uh, Nick kind of like sending a text about, you know, I can't be friends with you because I am interested in you that way or something like that. And then how that kind of played out in their relationship when they were like really enjoying their time as friends. And like, obviously Nick was interested in her in a, in a way, but like, I don't know, it'd be a lot to give up a friend for, for that. I don't know. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, obviously the hormones play into that and that sort of thing, True. That, yeah, yeah. you know, that, I agree that that, that awkwardness of, you know, like, uh, of kind of uh, almost like an ultimatum with that. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. But that, um, that they're like, what would it look like for Nick and Gina to have just stayed friends, you know? And so, um, you know, would, cause yeah, like we don't necessarily know where, where things are ending up yet. And so um, that could be an interesting kind of, I don't know, an interesting story to, to see, um, if this does end badly, um, showing that, yeah, like sometimes you fool around or date a friend and it, you end up just staying friends like Nick and Jesse, but sometimes that might mess things up. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so I have, I have two points and one of them's on, uh, Nick and Gina. So I'll start there. 
and then I'll bring up the other point later. It might kind of change uh, our direction. So with Nick and Gina and you guys thinking about what you hope for them or what you hope for them not to be, I guess, what, what are you guys' uh, I guess, hopes? I, th- I think for me, my hope is that we, it is Gina driven. I think that right now, like I'm not happy with the way that Nick handled any of that situation. Um, and so I think that, um, Gina needs to, that we need to, to, to have Gina make the, the, make the decision and that she feels okay about this decision. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And because of that, I don't, I don't think this is the healthiest thing, at least at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think Gina's doing great. She's putting up good boundaries. She's kind of like letting her relationship kind of progress naturally. Um, obviously I think with her dating Devon, that seemed like it was more kind of like popularity or looks driven just, and we don't know that might not be the case, but that's what it seemed like from the way it was presented on the show. But like, she, I thought she was kind of like really mature about a lot of things. And then like, I think you're right. I think Nick wasn't, Nick got a big head. Um, to deal with his big mouth and yeah. he got very, um, BDB. <laughs> <laughs> he got like, I don't, he just, he just was acting very kind of immature and kind of like disrespectful of Gina and wasn't putting up boundaries. So I agree with yeah. there. Like Gina, you keep doing you, Nick, you got some growing up to do and then maybe friendship can blossom again. Who knows? True. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean like, I think back like they were, they, as you were talking about, like they were so good together. Like they, yeah. They, uh, they were, they were, there was a connection there for sure. Um, so yeah. And Nick even like got along with Gina's family, which is, uh, on the first day, which is like a huge thing, right? Yeah. 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 I think I I share a lot of the same things. Uh, I hope to see more character development in Nick, if anything were to come of that. And, uh, also just having it very Gina driven, which she has been doing a, a good job of maintaining those boundaries thus far. And mm-hmm. so just in terms of like empowerment and like being able to maintain like her agency in that way, I hope that that's something that continues to shine through. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And I guess the other point is that I wanted to make was about um, Nick and Jesse in which, uh, so that relationship was not Nick and Jesse, Jay and Jesse. That oh, yeah. that relationship was uh, probably the hardest relationship for me to witness because, like, as you guys were saying, like they must have like relationship education writers like somewhere on their staff. But I just remember the scene where they were kissing, and like they were both like really trying to have their needs met, and Jay was like, like, and he was like just very like logically and like using the language of like a relationship scholar, which is kind of like, you know, I actually need this because like I don't have like emotional attachment with my family so like the way i get people to touch me is like by pretending to fall like all that good stuff and then like jesse was like like you know just shut up and kiss me as she was like acting out like just kind of like trying to heal herself from like her parents divorce and it was like being able to see like both of them get their needs met in very unhealthy ways was uh i was like yes i'm glad you guys are getting your needs met and if this band-aid continues to be like placed on this wound, this is going to get very disgusting. Um, and it did, yeah. Yeah, so that that was one of the harder relationships for me to witness. And yeah. like being able to empathize, empathize for both of them and wanting the best for both of them, but yeah. knowing that wasn't a healthy way of going about it. 
and both of them having like the rough home lives kind of like coming together in that way where they're both, like you said, kind of like acting out in different ways and needing different things. Jay being so like, um, just having such distant parents and Jesse having so much conflict going on in the home and moving towards divorce and all that. It was really interesting to see like their kind of like family lives play out. And it's, um, really rough (laughs) romantic interaction. Well, and I think that, you know, what's interesting about that one is that, uh, I'm I'm trying to think of timing kind of when that was happening, but yeah, yeah, because I think we sort of knew a little, we sort of knew Jay by that point. Um, but I think that we also have a different perspective on it maybe now, just cause I think we know more True. about Jay at this point, um, and Jesse, I mean, we've seen, we've seen yeah. a lot more about both of them. So yeah, that, I mean, just kind of, cause when we first met Jay, it was, we didn't really know a whole lot, um, about us, about him aside from just kind of his just general demeanor. But, um, yeah, that's a good point though. Yeah. It, and I think their relationships it wasn't like overtly stated, but it's also a good message about like values amongst individuals and, and like what you're willing to give and not give up when being like coupled in a third like member, which is like the relationship. And so, like, the specific example that sticks out to me is when they were in the hotel room and he was like role playing and being 40. And Jesse was like, no, we're not doing this because I'm 13 and that like makes you a pedophile. Like she wasn't like willing to like role play with him in that way. And, I think that's a, uh, you know, metaphorically, it could be looked at in a way of like just those values and things of like what you're willing to give up, not give up. And that was like one of the bigger defining moments that like was their decision to split from each other was just kind of that whole uh, that piece of what they were willing to do and not do with each other. Yeah, because Jesse would kind of like give in a little bit and um Jay would kind of give in a little bit and it, you could tell it was like pushing on their boundaries. Like Jesse really didn't want to like be called girlfriend or didn't really want to like, um, do more than kissing, but like would kind of keep going that direction to kind of like, like you said, get her needs met. And I think Jay was probably doing some of that too. And then it kind of got to that point where it kind of like reached this point. It was like, okay, this can't keep going. Yeah. So yeah, that was a hard one for me. Yeah. All right. I did also, um, can we just give a quick shout out to how great the hormone monstrous is? Yeah. And I'm so excited for her to like take over as Nick's like having a female hormone monster take over as Nick's hormone. That's such a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really yeah. excited to see where that goes. Just yeah. more conversations around bubble baths. There's an amazing, uh, I've, I've at least seen one uh, drag queen performance as the hormone monstrous that exists. So, uh, uh, yeah. So she's, she's made her way into pop culture for sure. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Great. All right. So um, any other kind of like talking points or things we wanted to bring up before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think we're pretty good. Yeah. All right. So you don't have to answer this by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, based on the hormone monsters, we know who was your homo hormone monster. <laughs> I, on, I honestly, I don't even know if we've met mine yet. Like I don't, I, I, I don't, I never, like as Denzel, you were saying you kind of had a like, this is this is who this is who mine was. More or less. I, yeah, I don't know if I don't think we've met mine yet. 
I don't know. That's a, that's yours. a answer, yeah. I guess. So I, I think mine mine is kind of a, a combination. I would probably say seventy five percent Maury, twenty five percent Rick. <laughs> and and I would say like oh one hundred percent because both of them gave like really bad advice, but the advice came from like two different angles, right? Yeah. And so yeah. and so Morris was like, do this really dumb thing that's probably going to get you in trouble, but it was more along the lines of like I kind of just want to see what happens. Where opposed to Rick was like, I genuinely think this is what you should do, even though it was like by far just. <laughs> you shouldn't do that and like his <laughs> ignorance w- was just stunning in that way right and so there were there were definitely times in my development where i was like oh well let's see what would happen if i do this and didn't always lead to me making the best of decisions but then there was also some times where i gen- genuinely thought that i was doing good but because of like my ignorance in that way that it was actually it wasn't beneficial to my development so i'll say probably 75 percent, 25 percent split in that way that's rough that's a rough split <laughs> any, any rick is a rough split yeah <laughs> yeah or red man steve <laughs> <laughs> no, i think mine would have been like mostly more but i think mine has like tyler's a, just an awful hormone monster yeah and part of me thinks I had some Tyler in my hormone monster just because I was just so awkward that I could barely interact with anyone. <laughs> and I think that was just like a shutdown from what were you going to say there? What is the hormone monstrous's name? Connie. 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 Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, so if we're, if we're talking percentages, I I'm for sure have a little bit of Connie in me. And so, um, and, uh, yeah, cause I, I appreciate her. Uh, I, I think that she's, she's got some, not that others are not looking out for their individual. I think Connie does the best at looking out for um, the, the person that she is working with. Um, so, yeah. I think she would have been the one I would have wanted the most. Out of the yeah, definitely. Seen. Definitely. But yeah, I feel like if I think for sure a little bit of her, but a, a probably a good amount of Maury as well. So I think Maury unfortunately is was in a lot of us so yeah Ho- hopefully we get introduced to, to a couple of more I don't, the hormone monsters and monsters are just so fun and like maybe we'll find a, yeah. a better match in the future but absolutely i'm so excited to see what they do for season three what kind yeah. of what monsters or wizards or whatever come about yeah, yeah. all right so who's gonna sing us out <laughs> <laughs> So, Denzel, you've sung on the podcast before. You, I you can't say you don't. So, so how about this? Uh, let, let's do let's do a fade out in this way, unless unless Eric decides he likes to sing out better. How about okay, each fair. each of us impersonates a line? Oh God! Some sort of their favorite character. Jeez. Oh jeez. Or just oh. someone they think they can do really well. I'm trying to. Oh God. I'll do a couple off the cuff until you guys uh <laughs> I could totally screw this up because like I said, this is just last minute thing. But uh do you guys remember Caleb by chance? So yes, he, I the love Caleb. With the <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> he was like, what did he say? He was like, uh, no matter how much you wash your hands, a trace amount of feces will always remain. <laughs> <laughs> Anger. <laughs> well, uh, you guys, I Yes, Barrett and uh, Eric are my best friends. 
excellent. excellent. You just lean your head back, arch your crotch in the air, and say, dinner is served. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> oh Jesus. I also I, I I I'm pretty sure my hallway mates just uh <laughs> <laughs> it stings, but it's worth it. <laughs> Things that new faculty say in their offices. My name is Devon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh my gosh, I'm not an old man. That is Man, you're good at this. <laughs> I can't believe I'm in the seventh grade and I'm already over high school. Oh, that was yeah, good. That was a good one. That was good. That was good. Yeah. At the party? <laughs> yes. With a little red solo cup. <laughs> Cotton candy brandy. <laughs> party wolf. Party wolf. Party wolf. <laughs> <laughs> And thanks to you for listening today. If you want to become a part of Relevation Nation and get daily information about romantic relationships, or just want to learn more about Relevate, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash myrelevate, follow us on Twitter at myrelevate, or on Instagram at instagram.com slash myrelevate. Special thanks to our producer and the composer of our opening music, Denzel Jones. See you next time.